we're starting a new series today called Fulfilled, Fulfilled. And, uh, you know, right now, you know, we're living in a space, this is the church we've got, but uh, we're determined not just to settle for what we've got. Uh, we want what God's designed. So many people live in what they've got, uh, but we need to understand what God's designed. And until we're living in His design, His pattern, you know, we're never going to reach our full potential. And uh, for about a year now, I've just saying, God, how do you want to take us as a church to another level? I've been studying up, reading up on many different uh, books, you know, observing different things, praying, hearing from God. And this series, I believe, is going to position us for the next season. Uh, there's a book I came across a while back called Four Cups by uh, Pastor Chris Hodges. And uh, one thing I've been praying about is, is spiritual formation and how, how God works in all of our life. Uh, how many know, no matter where you're at, no matter how long you've been a Christian, whether it's two days or 20 years, God's got more for you. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, God's got more. God's got more. Uh, and we can't settle and we can't sit back and say, well, I, I know enough just to get by. We've got to search things out. We've got to seek things out. Many people don't find God because they never search for God because they, 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 they don't go on this treasure hunt that God calls us to. And uh, I believe as leaders, I've got a responsibility to keep seeking God out. Uh, but as a church together, we've got a, a responsibility to keep on searching God. In fact, that's where the adventure of the Christian life lies. It, it lies in the search. It, it lies in the going after God, believing God, trusting God, and uh, beyond things that you understand. And, and so I've been doing that over the last little while and uh, for a year just saying, God, how do you want to position us for the next season? And uh, this series is around that. And so if you've got your Bible this morning, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Um, and I'm going to lead you through this. Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from verse 5. It says, you can be sure. Turn to your neighbor and you can say that. You can be sure. This is God. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel. Isn't that good to know? Yeah. Uh, that when you're going through a difficult time, when you're under it, that God hears your groans. Your spouse may not, but God does. God hears the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And he says, and I'm well aware of my covenant, my promise with them. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Man, there's some great promises right there. How many know, just in those few verses, there's a lot of I wills. God is saying, I will. Not I can. He says, I will. Many believe God can do stuff, but they don't believe God will. Here God is making a commitment, not just that 
oh, well, you know, I can. This is what I can do. He's saying, no, I will do this. And I want to pull apart four promises through these uh, couple of verses. The four promises. Number one is, I will free you from oppression. I will free you from slavery. Second promise is, I will rescue you from the slavery in Egypt. The third one is, I will redeem you with a powerful arm. And the fourth promise is, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. How many here are glad that God didn't disown them? You know, some of us want to disown some family members because, you know, they don't represent us. But God, even though he do, uh, we don't fully represent him, he says, I want to claim you as my own people and I will be your God. God says, I will. There's four I wills that laid the foundation for the nation of Israel. These four promises, you've got to understand, have become critical elements in the annual celebration of the fastover for the Jewish people. Uh, these th- uh, four, the three or four verses, and, and within them the promises that they contain, that these what make up the celebration that, that, that the Jewish people have around Passover. See, at, at the celebration, what there is is there's four cups. And during the celebration, they'll take a cup to represent each promise, a cup of wine. And what they're called to do is they're called to bridge ancient history with the yet-to-come future. I believe that's so important that all uh, all of us recognize what's brought us to where we are, but also where God wants to take us. And, And here God had brought them out of slavery from under the Egyptians. He had freed them. He had redeemed them. And he caused them to live in a place of promise or a place of fulfillment. So what did God do? He saved them. He delivered them. He redeemed them. And he brought them into a place of fulfillment. Come on, just those four words. I want you to get this this morning. He saved them. He delivered them. He redeemed them. And he brought them into a place of fulfillment. I I challenge to say... That, that your spiritual journey is made up of those four things. God, God saves you, He delivers you, He redeems you, and He brings you out into a place of fulfillment. These promises are not just to the Israelites, they're to you and I today. To anyone who surrendered their life to Jesus. And, and these promises hold the key to what God wants to do in your life right now. Uh, they actually got a, a foundation to God's desire for us to know His love and His desires for our life. Uh, see, many of us want to move forward, but we don't know how. Uh, many people today live frustrated, unfulfilled, discontent, and dissatisfied on a number of levels. In fact, Solomon, I love you know, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes because Solomon knew wisdom. He was a rich man. He was famous. He had everything he thought his hearts could desire. But in the end, he came to the conclusion that it was all vanity. It was all just like chasing the wind. Have you ever seen somebody chase the wind? They look pretty stupid. 
Now, I reckon a lot of people in life are looking to things that will never fulfill them on the inside, that will never satisfy them. And Solomon gives us wisdom and says, hey, these things are vanity. Uh, they're worthless in comparison to knowing God. Uh, some of us are mad at life and we don't even know why we're mad. You, know, you ever been in that place where you're just mad? You know, people are angry, frustrated all the time, and they don't even know why. It's because they haven't mapped out a process of getting to know God more. See, see, see all in this lifelong journey of growth, and God calls each of us to grow and mature in our relationship with Him. And, and these four promises help us track our progress. Track, track our closeness and our, our proximity to God. Now, we often say church is simply a whole lot of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. How many want to go higher in God? I, I pray that's why you got out of bed this morning and you came to church. It wasn't because you were here to fulfill your religious duty. It's because you want to go higher in God. You want to pursue God. You want to live out God's plan and His purpose for your life. I, I pray that was the motivating factor that got you out of bed. See, the question I want to ask you today is, are you satisfied with where you're at? Are you satisfied with where you're at in God? and how you are living out this Christian life. See, I have the simple trust, the simple faith, where I believe that God is more for me than I'm for myself. I have a simple trust that, that, that God wants me to succeed probably more than actually I want to succeed. You know, if God wants to do it, yeah, how many know? He's saying He wants to do it through these verses. He's saying, I will. I want, this is what I want to do. I will. I will. And if I align myself with God, how many know I can't fail? Come on, you got to get this. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to live a full life. Not an empty life, not dissatisfied, not discontent. Come on, God wants you to live at your optimum. He wants you to max out this life. Come on, God has something that will satisfy the longing of your heart if you put your trust in Him. God wants more for us than we realize. Come on, John 10, 10. Many of us know this verse. The thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I come that they might have life and have it to the Come on, somebody say that to the, to the full. Not, not at a half measure, but at a full measure. Giving your heart to Jesus enables you to live a full life, a content life, not where you're in a place of dissatisfaction. You know, in fact, the message version says a better life than you could ever dream of. That's what Jesus came to do. They're amplified, put it, having it in abundance, full to it overflows. The New Living Translation puts it, it says, I came that you might have a rich and a satisfying life. Come on, how many want to live a rich 
and a satisfying life. Oh, you three people. That's cool. God, that's what Jesus came to do. God wants us to live satisfied. He wants us to live blessed. He wants us to live full. Fulfilled in our relationships. Not jumping from one relationship to another. Not having the itch. You know, I've got an itch. Well, if you've got an itch, you've got fleas. It's not about the other person. It's something's dissatisfied on the inside of you because God, you haven't allowed God into that space. But you're looking for somebody else to meet your needs rather than God to fulfill that space. How often do we put God-type pressure on human relationships because God is not in His rightful place? Come on, God wants your relational life fulfilled. He wants you to have great friends. He wants you to have a great spouse. He wants you to have great children. Come on, how many believe that this morning? God wants that for your life. You go outside of God's boundaries, His plan, you're going to be dissatisfied. That's why you see the breakdown in relationships today. It's because God, they don't do it God's way, and they are left empty and dissatisfied. God wants you to be fulfilled in your relationships. He wants you to be satisfied at work. God wants to satisfy you. There's nothing worse than doing something that God hasn't purposed you to do. So many people today, you know, they go to work and they're just bored. And that's why they get into a whole lot of trouble. God wants you to know your design. He, he wants you to know why He's put you on the planet. He, he wants you to know your purpose. He doesn't want you to be bored Monday to Friday and just live for two days the weekend. That's not a high percentage. Two out of seven. My life is miserable. And only two days during the week I get to be happy and do what I want. No, God wants you to be fulfilled in your work. He wants you to be fulfilled in your career. God, God wants you to know you have a purpose in it. He wants you to be content with what you own. You know, I love Paul because Paul said contentment is a learned skill. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, but in our mind, we buy into the myth that someday more will be enough. If I have more of that, if I had that, I'd be content. It's a myth. Contentment is a learned skill. And Paul said, whether I have much or whether I have little, it doesn't matter. I've learned the recipe for happiness. Come on, the question I want to ask you today is, have you learned the recipe for happiness. Are you fulfilled on the inside? See, material possessions will never fulfill the longing of your heart. Only Jesus can do that. See, God wants you to be fulfilled, not just fulfilled. He wants you to flourish. And that comes as a result of being planted in the house of God. Psalm 36 verse 8, it says, listen to this, they are abundantly satisfied. Not just satisfied, but what abundantly satisfied. With the fullness of your house, you give them a drink from the river of your pleasures. 
I believe there's something that happens when the people of God gather together. That can't happen happen anywhere else. And here it says they are abundantly satisfied. Come on, how many want to be abundantly satisfied? They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them a drink from the rivers of pleasure. Yeah, God's more keen to build this church than we are. Some of you are not that keen anyway, but, you know, I know I'm keen. I want to see God's purpose revealed, and God's more keen to build this house. Now to see a significant body of people come together to change the world. And He wants us to succeed. I, I want to say, don't settle for less than God's best. See, if you're trying to do it apart from God, if you're trying to do it even outside of the context of church, you're settling for something less than God's best for your life. See, we live in a world that can't get no satisfaction. Mick Jagger and his friends. But Jesus satisfies the longing of every heart. Come on, Jesus satisfies the longing of every heart. I want you to hear this this morning. Because some of you are thinking if I won lotto, if I went out with him or her, if I had that car, if I married the, no, no, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus satisfies the longing of every heart. Where there's an emptiness, where there is a void, where there's frustration right now, Jesus satisfies the longing of every heart. Do I get an amen on that one? Come on, I need a bigger one than that. Jesus satisfies every thirst. In fact, the woman at the well who Jesus met with, yeah, he says, "I, I have water that you do not know of. Anyone who comes to me won't thirst again. How many know there's a lot of thirsty people in the world today? Even in church. A lot of thirsty people lusting after this, going after that. They're just thirsty for more. But they don't realize the answer is in Jesus. And they don't understand how God leads us. See, see, the Israelites probably expected Moses to lead them into this place of fulfillment immediately. Into the promised land immediately. But how many know it didn't happen immediately? It took 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness and it took a faith-based fight before they could enter into their promise, into the fulfillment of their promise. Now, now God makes His promises sound so simple. I will. Uh, But they're so simple sometimes that we expect immediate fulfillment. And when it doesn't happen, And when it doesn't happen on our timeline, it's tempting to dismiss God's promises and say, well, they're just untrue, they're irrelevant, they're not for today. But what you gotta understand is faith is not simply a mental agreement with a set of facts. It's trust in a person. It's trust in a person. You know, there's a difference between, uh, between believing God can and God will. See, to trust that God will is to trust 
not just in the power of God, but it's to trust in His character and His nature. See, I found the more you get to know God, the more you will trust Him. The more you'll put your life in His hands. And you've got to understand it's a process. I want to ask you, where are you at in this process? I really believe God wants to locate us this morning. God wants to locate you. Hallelujah. That word, hallelujah, is a little bit of a funny word, isn't it? Hallelujah. It gets used a lot. It often gets used when preachers don't have anything else to say. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, we often say it, but we don't know the context and the meaning of it. In fact, the word hallelujah within it, the root word is halal, which actually represents the fourth cup of the celebration. The first cup representing salvation, being delivered out of Egypt. Second cup represents being delivered from their oppression, because how many know they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them? It's like they say, you can take the boy out of West Auckland, but you can't take West Auckland out of the boy. I don't know why I'm picking on Westies these days, but it just seems to go that way. It, it's in them. See, see, there's one thing about being saved out of sin, saved out of the world, but, but if you still think the same way you thought before you got saved, you're not moving forward. In fact, the whole idea of salvation is that you now live according to a different way. There's a new way of doing things. Yes, God has taken you out of your sin, but He wants to get your sin out of you. So you stop thinking the way that you used to thought. See, many people today, they're saved, but they're still conditioned by the pattern of this world. They're still conditioned by what the media tells them. In fact, they lift up popular opinion. How many know just because it's popular doesn't mean it's true? So many people think, oh, well, everybody's saying, oh, everybody's doing, and, and they just go with the flow. But we've got to get Egypt out of us. Some of you, right now, you're condoning your sin because other people are doing it. But you're in the wilderness right now, and God wants to set you free. God wants to take you into His promise. You'll never be fulfilled if you compromise on God's truth. You compromise on that. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you're in Egypt. Because you're a slave to whatever you obey. And so, yeah, you may be out of Egypt, but you're on, in prison on the inside. That's why you're mad and you don't even know why you're mad. You get mad at church, you get mad at people. All these people are judging me. No, no, they're not. They just want you to enter into freedom. They want you to enter into life. And it's so important, this process is so important because you'll never see clearly until Egypt is out of you. Because when you're in a place where you haven't been delivered, what you'll do is you'll see your future through your past. 
and what will be birthed on the inside of you is an illegitimate, I'll get that out, illegitimate dream. Yeah, it may have some Christian language, but it's more full of selfish ambition than kingdom desire. Come on, you got to hear me right now. See, some of us right now, we have vision, but it's distorted. Because the lens in which we view our future is still through the filter of Egypt. And God wants to set us free. It's a counterfeit vision. It's not a kingdom vision. And that's why you're struggling. That's why you're not moving forward. Because you're, you're, you're wanting what the world wants, but you're giving Christian language to it. God's got to change you from the inside out. He's got to deliver you from that. So what does He do? He saves us. He delivers us. Number three, He redeems us. Redeem simply means to buy back. What does God want to do? He wants to take us back to His original plan, His original purpose. See, when we live in the world, we're bent out of shape. But God wants us to know His shape, the shape that He's created us to live in. You're special. You're unique. And you trying to be somebody else is never going to bring satisfaction to your heart until you know who you are in God and how He's wired you. Come on, how many have ever done strength finders before? You know, how many know we all got different strengths? I've heard some people say, well, I've got all the dumb strengths. I'm going like, they're strengths, they're not weaknesses. How can you have dumb strengths? They're strengths, but we're always measuring across and we want to be somebody else. But we're going to learn to be satisfied with who God's created us to be, how He's gifted us, how He's wired us. See, He redeems us. Part of the church is helping people find their shape. And then He leads us on. He saves us. He delivers us. He redeems us. And then He launches us into a place of fulfillment where we get to serve. See, halal, the fourth cup. It's the last cup of the Passover. And halal was celebrating that they've been formed into a new nation. In fact, halal means to celebrate, to boast, to rave. You know, I reckon church should be a rave. <laughs> but, but that's what it means. It, it means crazy praise. It, it's an exclamation of victory. When one has experienced a level of fulfillment, it's just a natural result. When we live out our dreams, how many know praise naturally occurs? You don't need somebody to clap and say, clap your hands. Sing a song. How, how many know when something comes about, something on the inside goes, ah, and you just start clapping, shouting, dancing? Because you're fulfilled. Something on the inside has been fulfilled. I, I really believe, you know, our Sunday experience should be a fulfilling experience. See, what you've got to understand is God's saved us and we've become part of this kingdom, God's kingdom. And now we're his son and daughter. We have family to belong to. See, fulfillment comes from the acknowledgement that we are part of something bigger. Bigger than ourselves. We're part of something greater than ourselves. 
It's understanding that, hey, I've got these unique gifts. I'm special. But my gifts linked to that person's gifts, we can do a whole lot. See, fulfillment means to live beyond yourself. It's calling nine hearts in the game 500, if you played that. How many 500 fans out there? It's calling nine hearts without a heart in your hand. If you're stupid enough to do that. But what you're doing is you're relying on your partner's hand. It's recognizing that, hey, I may not have it, but I've got some things. But if I add my cards to their cards, we can do this. Uh, We can win this game. Uh, We can move forward. Uh, There's nothing more satisfying when, when team is working. See, God's ultimate plan, again, is for you to be full and filled. We are full and filled. Uh, we are full of God, but, but we're filled because we're pouring out. We're fulfilled. We're, we're full and filled. And God has placed dreams and desires in you. And He hasn't given them to you so you can be frustrated and you can feel defeated. Yeah, you know, we've got this dream. We don't know how it's going to come about. But maybe, you know, that's because that makes us rely on Him more. But He hasn't given that. It's not like He's put a carrot out there that we're never actually going to be able to get. No, you've got to understand that there's a time and there's a, a formation that needs to take place. I want you to go to quickly Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Solomon again, he says he has made everything. Somebody say everything. Everything. Come on, shout it out, everything. He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. There's a timing. He makes all things beautiful and appropriate in its time. He's planted eternity. This is the Amplified Version. A sense of divine purpose. You know, I hear by chance. You only got a certain amount of years allotted to you. What are you doing with them? You're going to have to give an account. A sense of divine purpose in human hearts. A mysterious longing for, for which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Again, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longing of your heart. Come on, can we say that all together? Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longing of my heart. You need to tell yourself that and stop searching in other areas. That's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp, what God has done, His overall plan from the beginning to the end. Quickly, how do you drink from this fourth cup? Well, the happiest people on the planet aren't necessarily the richest, the most famous, the most goal-orientated. The happy people on the planet aren't those who climb Everest and different things like that. The happiest people on the planet are those 
who are making a difference in the life of others. I'll say that again. The happiest people on the planet are those who are making a difference in the life of others. Why can I be assured of that? How can I say that? Because that's the way God's designed it. That's how God's designed us. To make a difference in the life of others. I, I love on the stage today, we've got an accountant, we've got two lawyers, we've got CEO of Housing New Zealand, and we've got a chiropractor on stage. <laughs> now, all busy people. All, all busy people, high capacity people. I love the fact that they got up at five o'clock this morning to serve us yeah, and wow. worship. They didn't think more highly of themselves. They recognize that their design is to make a difference in the life of others. Fulfillment comes from serving. You don't graduate from serving. It's not something that you've ticked off. It's not your Boy Scout badge that you've accomplished now and you got on your chest. No, it's something that we're called to live in. Come on, I wanna speak to those who've been in church a while, who've served but no longer serving in any capacity. Nothing else will satisfy. Don't trick yourself, don't kid yourself. You only can fulfill what God has placed in your heart through serving. And there's a connection to serving in the house. Serving in the house. Now, uh, some people serve at different capacities. But unless you're serving, you'll get bored of church. And then you'll start blaming church. But it, the problem is you're doing it wrong. Now, I love the fact that we've got hard week. What this is, is just a catalyst to say, hey, we're called to serve the world. I'm praying it doesn't just last a week. Uh, but it stirs something up in the hearts and lives of people. Hey, together, that our life is all about others. It's about winning the world to Jesus. Uh, right now, we're sending a team to the Philippines. Uh, I wonder what happens when you go on mission, where there's, you know, we want to serve other people in the Philippines, but the testimonies that come back, you know, even though I was serving them, I was the one who was blessed. I was the one who had more poured back into my life. I, I got a sense of fulfillment that I couldn't get any other way. I couldn't get that on a beach in Fiji. You can't get that. So you're called to mission. But we think this will satisfy. And we're brought into a lie that's contrary to God's design. Now, uprising. We're called to serve our community. Drinking from the fourth cup is doing something beyond ourselves. See, I found out our life radically changes when we find our best fit and we get equipped and we serve. You only can fulfill your potential through serving. I know many people coming in, they're getting into a place of service. I wanna to speak to those who've been around for a while have stopped serving for one reason or another. Oh, my life's busy, I've got too much on. Hey, 
You stop prioritizing God? You, you put God in the back seat? You watch things will slide. There, there'll be emptiness. You lift up, you elevate the building of God's house. God will look after your own. God will build your, uh, build your own. But we're all called. In fact, Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You know, I talked about these professions because, you know, many people would say they're busy, they're busy. You know, they don't have time. But I love the heart. You know, it's good for you to put yourself in a place where where you're not lifting yourself up, but where you're coming underneath. Now, there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing somebody else encounter Jesus. There's nothing more satisfying than, than seeing people encounter God. Uh, we go on holiday with our family, and uh, my, my dad's a salesman. He could sell ice to an Eskimo. He, he's like, anything he's into, he's into boots and all. And uh, well, one, day, one time we were at a lake, and at this lake it had a, a beach with hot water that you only could get to by boats. And him and mum went there and he came back and he says, man, you gotta go to Hot Water Beach. You gotta go to Hot Water Beach, it's amazing. For the next three or four days, all we heard about was Hot Water Beach. We're all saying, oh, shut up. Uh, We don't wanna hear about it anymore. In fact, these days when he gets into a sales mode, we go, is it as good as Hot Water Beach? And then he knows he's overselling it. Uh, But how many know when you've experienced something, you can't help but rave about it. I love my daughter, Michaela, came home from Uprising on on Friday night. It was 80-something that gave their hearts to Jesus. But six of them were her friends from her school who she personally invited. Six of them made a response. She came home, it was like, oh, what a beach. But it was better than Hot Water Beach. Because there's nothing like seeing people encounter Jesus, encounter hope, encounter God. You're born for purpose. The problem is, historically, we believe that there's two types of Christians. There's the ministers, and then there's the non-ministers. There's the clergy, and then there's the laity. I want to say that's born out of an Old Testament model. When Jesus came, He came to change all that. He says to ordinary people, you are the light of the world. He says to ordinary people, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. You're called to do crazy things for God. But it didn't take long for people to make ministry a profession. But you're the clergy. That's what you get paid to do. While everybody sits back passively on the sideline and watches. Here's the deal. You'll never be satisfied on the sidelines. You've got to get in the game. And what the church has been over many years is the professional few doing it without many people sacrificing nothing making a commitment to no one to bring God to a community that needs it. 
Now, last week, I think in the last week, they celebrated 500 years since the Reformation, 500 years since Martin Luther pinned something on a door that would change church history, which would recognize that Jesus came and He said, we're saved by grace, not by works, but by grace. And through this Reformation, they introduced a concept called the priesthood of all believers. It's biblical, it's scriptural. I wanna say there's not one ounce of scripture that endorses the clergy and the laity. We are all ministers. See, many people have misunderstood the role of a pastor. People think, oh, the pastor's there to do the ministry. This is not ministry. The New Testament model of Scripture, and there's tons of it in there. Again, we don't want to just be the church with God. We want to live live and be the church that God's designed. And God's designed it. That each and every person finds their shape. They get equipped, and they get released into ministry. Ministry simply means a place to serve you serving, you're in ministry. And it's the responsibility of every believer. The world right now needs a fully mobilized church. We've got to flip the script, change the narrative. Got to stop looking at things coming from here. Ministry is birthed in the hearts and lives of ordinary people. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, just a few verses and then we'll finish up. It says, but you're not like that for you are a chosen people. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's chosen you. He's chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others. You can show others the goodness of God. You can not the part you can show others the goodness of God for He's called you out of darkness into His wonderful light here's the deal the impression people will have of this ministry will come from their interaction with you the impression people will get of God will come from how they interact and how they relate to you. You're chosen to display God's goodness. Even though our contributions and our gifts may differ, as 1 Peter chapter four says, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. We haven't got the same gifts. But He says this, He says, use them well to serve one another. What to do? To use them to elevate me? Use them to promote my own cause? No, use them to serve one another. Because we're unique. Because we're special. Here's the deal. You only can fulfill your potential as part of a team. What church is? It's a whole lot of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. 
What is it? It's team. This is team. And we're called to change the world. Is this journey God takes us? saves us, He delivers us, He redeems us because He wants us to live a full life. I don't know what life you're living right now, but God's got more. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, God's got more. How about standing to your feet right now? God's got more. God's got more. We're going to open this up. And I want you to understand, I will, I will. What's He done? He's saved us. He's delivered us. He's redeemed us and He has brings us into fulfillment. Come on, can we all go through that again? He has saved us. He has He has so that we might live fulfilled. Come on, say that again. I want you to get this. He has saved us. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us so that we might live fulfilled. I don't know where you're at on that journey. Some of us know in some areas we were, we're fulfilled, but these other areas of our life that we still think, we still view our future through our past. We need God to come and change us, make us new. Come right where you are. Would you just close your eyes? Maybe just lift a hand. Because I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now as to what He would say to you through this message. I want every person in this room, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Where do I need to make some adjustments? Where do I need to change my viewpoint? And here, right where you are, with your eyes closed, I want you just to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. You're going to empower me. You're going to give me what I need to move forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, just how about just thanking God for His work in our lives. Come on, right now. Just thank God for His work. Come on, He wants to take you higher. Come on, lift your voice. Not quietly, come on. We're not a quiet church. We're not a passive church. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power, your anointing here. Lord, you've taken us out of the miry clay and you've placed us on the rock. Thank you for the new life that we have in you. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you, Jesus, you satisfy the longing of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that everything that we need is found in you this morning. Everything we need. You satisfy us with marrow and fatness. You, you satisfy our life with good things. Lord, you have an open hand. You're a generous God, and we give you thanks, and we give you honor. Lord, today, fill our hearts. Lord, fill them to overflow. Lord, pour out your Spirit, we pray. Pour out your Spirit afresh on people.